everyone, and welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman, also called H. And I'm Ryan Quintel, also called Q. H, I was excited about, and subsequently have bought and played a little bit, and now am significantly less excited about Cadence of Hyrule. You say less excited, is that just because you're not anticipating something you already own, or is it something that's not really jiving with you? Well, I'm playing it, I'm finding it a little bit obtuse, to be honest with you. Okay. You know, I've never played uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer, so I didn't really Mm -hmm. have an immediate frame of reference for what I was in for. And you'd never played a Zelda game, so this is really confusing (laughs) for you. Right, I'm like, who are these people? Um... And so, yeah, I mean, obviously I have played a Zelda game and that meant that I kind of went into it expecting, oh, if this is uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer, which I understood to be a roguelike, which is a genre known for being maybe a little bit more on the difficult side, Mm -hmm. if they would have like fully Nintendified it to the point where it would kind of some of the rough edges would be sawed off of it and a little bit to my chagrin i find myself finding parts of it still obtuse like i wasn't i hesitated for a long time to buy certain upgrades uh because i didn't realize that those upgrades were going to be permanent <laughs> in hmm. a way it didn't quite you know telegraph it to me and okay. like, for example by the way if you if you're playing that game and you're in my position don't be afraid to buy the spear. The spear will be with you. And the spear is so much better than the sword. It's crazy, <laughs> which is like backwards in my mind. But yeah. yeah, so I'm I'm making my way through it. I am liking it more and more. Certainly the music is so darn good, isn't it? It's a Danny Baranowski score. Is that right? You know, I'm not sure, but I, I find myself listening to it and itching to get myself on a sound of play so that I can uh, oh, well, play we tracks can for everybody. Oh, out then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I put you on the spot here on the on the show. That's how I do it. But yeah, anyway, Crypt of uh, the Necrodancer, Cadence of Hyrule. I I I think I need to spend more time with it to warm up to it. It is slowly warming, but it's the first time I think anything even remotely Zelda related has had to warm to me. I even enjoyed that Dynasty Warriors version of Zelda. So oh, I um, love that one. Yeah. Now, I mean, there have been some Zelda games that have not been very good, though. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. So, to say the first time any kind of Zelda thing has uh, taken a little while to to get through to you, I guess it depends on how many Zelda games you played in the past. I, but there have been, yeah, maybe a I guess recently in the bunch. <laughs> I'm trying to think, like recently, if I bumped stuff a Zelda game, and I I know that. I know that I it, like, Skyward Sword was just kind of okay. Yeah, I didn't really love the Skyward Sword. The pacing was like way off on that one, but there were some like really good moments. So you know, and Skyward bad. Sword is after Twilight Princess, right? Yes. Wow. So I mean, that is I don't for whatever reason that Skyward Sword gets tucked down into my like cerebellum. I don't I don't remember it until suddenly it's happening to me. Well, if it helps, and I don't know if this is the part of the game that you're uh, struggling with, you can turn it from a rhythm game into like a turn-based game using one of the the menu options um kind of takes away the the timing immediacy of playing it to the rhythm and instead changes it so that everything in the environment only moves when you move and so it turns into kind of a you know one turn at a time type of thing and allows you to kind of think through your moves if you need to uh if you find it overwhelming as is that's kind of neat i may give that a try just because i i also found myself kind of getting a little bit old man hand cramp holding the switch and trying to <laughs> tap the tiny little D-pad to the beat. Um, I actually 
prefer to move with the joystick, even though the game kind of prompts me not to. It's hmm. like, hey, uh, you're going to have an easier time with this if you use the D-pad. But yeah, I don't know if it's uh, arthritis or tendonitis setting in or what, but I'm I'm not going gracefully into this good night. Gaming is such an important part of our lives that when uh, when our bodies start failing us in that way, <laughs> we do everything that we can to try to to hold it off. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting thing getting older, right? Because s- stuff like quick time sequences where they demand you tap a button with ferocity are <laughs> currently mm-hmm. no problem for me. But and as you know, I think it's good because we happen to be aging at a time where the industry is becoming more and more aware of things like uh, accessibility and the needs of yeah. of everybody. And as as somebody who's worked in software for a long time, I can tell you accessibility is not just good for people with disabilities. It's really good for everybody. Um, right. You know, I mean, how many of us you could, I know I'm going long on this or whatever, but how many of us know a friend or family member that has the font size cranked way up on their phone? I mean, pretty much everyone over the age of 40 that I know. <laughs> right. My mom's screen sees like half of a text message at a time. It's madness. But <laughs> that's, uh, you know, we don't think of it. We just go, oh, that's a nice option. But that's accessibility. So it's like I didn't even think they had Comic Sans on the phone. How are you doing this? <laughs> right. Go accessibility and to getting older. Mm-hmm. Well, anyways, let's get to some video game pitches. I'll be going first this week. And um, this this might seem like a really bad idea, but what I want to pitch is a frustrating concept that I'm hoping we can find a way to turn into something very, uh, I don't know, more more positive. Okay. So in, uh, in Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater, if you leave the fight with the end for too long, the old man sniper, then, you know, kind of famously he will die of old age and you'll just get to, to move on with the game. Uh, which I always thought was a brilliant mechanic, and it got me thinking, like, what else can we do with this? How about a game that works similarly, that if you take too long on any of these fights, and I'm not talking about, like, adjusting the system clock, I mean, like, within a reasonable number of attempts, it just kills the enemy and moves you on to the next fight. So you lose out on your chance to fight them, you lose out on any items and experience you would have gained, like, whatever it is. This sounds like something that is only removing fun from the player so i'm not sure exactly the angle that we're going to take to get it to be something that's like fun and interesting but that's our challenge let's set out and figure it out (laughs) i actually think this could be really cool because one of the things that is baked in to a souls game is the idea of the bonfire bringing everybody back but what if it didn't do that (laughs) What if you had, maybe this game feels like the combat pacing of a Dark Souls, but really everybody's on a timer. Everybody's got like, you know, you could do a, a Soulsian in-universe terrible disease, a dragon rot plus plus, and people like are literally dying as you fight them. And maybe, you know, you would you'd want to kill people because maybe that's the only way to gain experience and to kind of push forward so you're not even getting stronger throughout the end of the game where people are getting harder if you're not successfully dispatching of the enemy. You know, this could be a uh, something that rewards you with lore or something like that. And I was originally thinking that every boss would kind of be on their own timer and as you died to them, then it would kind of tick down one and you only got like a certain amount of attempts before the game just like beat it for you in a way. But it is interesting what you said, like maybe everybody is on 
a universal timer and the world is aging as you're moving through it and it's up to you to kind of like keep up with the tide of time moving forward just like in real life i recently started playing along with cadence um outer wilds Mm -hmm. and that is a game that's very much living in the realm of there's a set timer here now granted that's a set timer to sort of create a loop um in time but you know (laughs) i there have been so many games in the history of games that are very much like, hey, you've got a giant countdown timer to be, you know, the Majora's Mask style thing to like have a set amount of accomplishments. Granted, they're doing a time loop too, but you know what I mean? Like, let's put a, let's put a shot clock on this thing and, you know, maybe make it replayable in some way instead as the, uh, the way that you revisit things and take another shot at it. So maybe it's not just a uh, binary thing of living and dead. Maybe there's different kind of like levels of power that each enemy has that kind of go trend downwards or in some cases maybe trend upwards. So you have to kind of like plot your route Mega Man style to try to hit them all in order. Uh, Maybe like this is all about optimizing a route that allows you to kill all the bosses. Maybe it's about uh, making multiple passes through the game to eventually like have them all defeated at some point. Um, I'm not sure exactly. Yeah. And I think if you wrote like some, some compelling fiction around it of like, if you don't execute what you need to do in the time that you need to do it, like you don't get to revenge, like the person who you're setting out to kill, like a no, you know, you make it a no country for old men style revenge tale. Very classic. Maybe you even in the game you're playing as an incredibly old person, a man or a woman who's on this tale of mm. revenge and you die, you know, you're going to die just as much as everybody else in the game. So you're just using your last remaining days on this planet to hunt down and kill the people that have wronged you throughout your life. You can do cool like flashback montages of the times where they did uh, wrong you as well. And there you go. Maybe you're on a timer and then everyone that you kill adds time back to your timer. But if they die of old age, then that time is not added to your timer. So the only way to like really make it to the end is to actually by your own blade kill enough of these monsters or people or whatever it is. You know, and that would be a fun thing to do, right? If you're this old person, it's very lurchy. It's maybe it's very dark soulsy to have these. If you're able to encounter the person Maybe you're losing your memory, too, and you're able to encounter the person before they die. It, like, is a way for you to reclaim the memory of what that person did. You just, like, you start the game and you have a list of names, you know, and you're, like, crossing them off one by one. And if you can find that person in time, you also get to relive the memory. Maybe that's a cutscene, but maybe that's, like, a a totally different gameplay mechanic of you and that person fighting as two, you know, spry, agile warriors. Yeah, that, yeah, that's that's interesting. If you gain back some of your some of your like youth and vitality as you slay some of these uh, these other beings, and maybe there's who is ultimately going to be the final boss is kind of making his way through the same land and taking down some of these creatures or whatever they are uh, along the way as well. And so you can encounter some bosses that are already, well, hmm, that's interesting. If if you don't kill them in time, then the other person kills them and gets the experience. It kind of takes away from like the natural aging and, and just puts it in another character's hands. But I don't know if I like that better. I don't know. 
going back and forth on that. Maybe experience is the wrong mechanic there. Maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's as people are. I, I'm just thinking like maybe it's people dying that sustains you. But of course, mm-hmm. I think a lot of games have kind of played with that. You're like always dying and uh, you need to do things to sort of sustain your health. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of like what the fiction of really feeling like you're living in a dying place could feel like. Right. Yeah. So if aspects of the world and, and, and its exploration um, could change as well. So like in Dark Souls, how the world all kind of like interconnects uh, to make it easier to explore once you open certain doorways, if that was kind of time gated. And so after, you know, a certain number of events rather than specific events transpire, then certain pathways open up because an old tree might have fallen down or, you know, some vines may have withered away. Just whatever kind of video gamey obstacle is in the way has uh, disappeared now. So that's interesting, too, because if all things of the world sort of decay at different rates or what if mm-hmm. things in the world started dying once you encountered them, like you are bringing death um, and that's how you kind of have a reason for like, you could have these characters existing in a perfectly sustained, fine state, you know, just like any other video game character. But it's once you see them, even if you see them once, mm. like, you know, we have those moments in Souls games where maybe you see a bad guy and you're like, that guy looks crazy. I'm not ready for that yet. I'm going to go to a bonfire <laughs> and do another run or whatever. Well, guess what? In this, the second you see that character, the shot clock begins but that also means like when you encounter those vines like they begin to wither so they'll be they'll be free in a certain amount of time once only once you've encountered them that's interesting it it kind of it kind of takes away from the like mapping and rooting a little bit i guess you still all you have to do is get there yeah it's kind of like in hitman sometimes you have to like walk through an area just to like trigger a conversation to start so that somebody will move to another place that's interesting. You know, you wouldn't have those experiences of going to a, a boss room and finding them dead the first time that you're there, which you might if this was more of like a Groundhog Day Memor- uh, Majora's Mask type of setup. But uh, it, uh, yeah, I think that that could work. Just like in uh, Bloodborne, how you get the, I don't remember what it's called, the, the frenzy, um, the madman's knowledge, what are the insight uh, every time you see a boss for the first time. What other sort of things change as they age. So we have like the example of plants and, you know, obviously there's organisms. Could there Mm -hmm. be, you know, by the very same logic you're imagine using a, a breath of the wild style weapon slash inventory system. But Mm -hmm. instead of having a set amount of hits that you can inflict, like your metal is just getting slowly Mm. more rusted as you touch it. And you're kind of all decay is associated with you. That's interesting. So weapons only last for like a certain number of days and armor only lasts for so long. So if you have a favorite weapon or something, then you kind of, you save that for the point in the game that you think you're really going to need it. And so it's prioritizing, you know, what to pick up and when, not just kind of looting everything as soon as you encounter it. It's a great excuse to have like that magic box and a magic box that kind of is shielded from you. It's the like one of the only things in the universe that's shielded from you and yeah. you can put things in it to sustain them. Um, but you know that they're just slowly getting worse. So everything that you get, you know, you're almost encouraged to kind of not use it in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're out of time on that one. 
let's come up with a name for this one and close it down. Oh, man. Kind of just want to make a an, a metaphor or analogy to my damn wrist tendons as I'm playing Cadence of Hyrule. Okay, so how about a a pun on the um, on the novel? Uh, we can call it Withering Heights. I don't like Withering Heights. The uh, <laughs> old school um, that's book. pretty good. That's pretty good. It's your game. That's what <laughs> it's I everyone's say. game now. It's everyone's game now. Hooray! The ten minutes is gone. The the game goes out into the ether. <laughs> Oh, that's hold on. Wait, up until nine fifty nine, we own that stuff. We gotta, I, I gotta change the rules that's right. here. We gotta put in the copyright before <laughs> the ten minutes elapses. Otherwise, we lose the ability to be very fast. Just filing uh, copyright claims. <laughs> I think that's cool. I was gonna say um, another thing. You know, I'm always going conceptual with these things. So mm-hmm. the famous saying, and also the title of the last episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation, all good things. Okay. Yeah, that's not bad either. You know, and that kind of like speaks to how things <laughs> start well or your equipment starts well and gets worse. But I think uh, Withering Heights is pretty cool. All right. Well, let's let's move on to your pitch today. What are you bringing us? You may have seen, I don't know if you follow me on Instagram, but I did post a story today because I've been in kind of a weird resurgence or maybe not even resurgence, a surgence of boy okay. bands. I okay. When uh, Backstreet Modern Boys boy bands are like classic, classic, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Um, when the Backstreet Boys came on the scene, I was you know a tween or a teen, and they didn't really do much for me. I didn't care. Um, in fact, I didn't like them. But I find myself singing their tunes now, just out of a probably old man nostalgia. This whole episode is about how old I'm getting. Um, <laughs> so my pitch this week is some sort of boy band management simulation Mm, game where you build a boy band you give them haircuts and dress them up you can uh take them on tour do choreography maybe you like cut albums and like there's a little rhythmy beat mixing stuff and then like the coup de gras of the whole pitch is the ability to plan and put together concerts that you can stream on Twitch. And uh, so just like we have Callie and Marie putting on concerts uh, in Japan, we're going to have some fake virtual boy bands. You could make the next pop sensation. <laughs> okay, well, that's, uh, that's very cool. Let's start the clock there and see where we can take this. So uh, the first thing that comes to mind is uh there's a there's a series and i've never i've never played it but i've like i've i've heard like it's not a bad series it's like i i don't know i haven't heard like glowing things about it because i don't really know anybody that's in that circle but uh from just like the you know vague whisperings i've heard elsewhere people tend to kind of like hold it in some level of esteem but the idol master series do you know that one on the ps4 ps vita i'm not familiar with idol masters it's, uh i-d-o-l-m i think it's an at sign s-t-e-r <laughs> i could be wrong about this so just off the top of my head but it's a game where you are managing like a group of uh like anime idol singer type things kind of like a hatsune miku type thing damn i i should have known that japan would have already have beaten me through this <laughs> no but i mean i from the the little bit that i know about it from like the bits and pieces i picked up over time i think it's kind of a rpg-ish type thing that's more about like 
getting to know specific characters and character interactions and maybe not having the same kind of like freedom. I could just be talking out of my ass here, but you know, <laughs> H you're going to love this. Wikipedia says the idol master with the ad mm-hmm. symbol, um, but it is spelled regular idol master. Just the logo is the ad symbol. Uh, okay. Oh, I see. The genre, it says rhythm and separated by a comma, raising simulation i love the idea that you're growing these people (laughs) i mean that's something as well i was like there's i think there's a lot of um a lot of stories play with the premise that these uh these kind of disney channel stars turned pop icons are these like are almost manufactured in a way and so i know that uh gravity falls played with a with a episode where every one of these boy bands were like cloned and raised in a lab to be like you know, the, the peak sexiness or whatever it is that, that brings the boy bands, uh, fame and, and power. Oh man. So you've like given me this fusion idea now. I think we, we could go in any direction and stay open to this, but like one potential, right? If we are going to go full raising simulator, <laughs> what if you had a game that was like a Pokemon slash Tamagotchi but you're raising a like, you know, boy band or girl pop band of like creatures rather than people. <laughs> that way you can get away with like the songs not being in any sort of discernible language. Yeah, they can kind of be go. in like sounds and growls and stuff. And you're like, okay, I really need an alto. So I'm going to, I'm going to get this kind of creature. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, I think that computer voices have gotten good enough to where you can make kind of randomly generated kind of like proc gen music voice. sound pretty good. Yeah, like a uh, what is it called? Uh Tamarachi Life. It's going to say Mitomo, that's not the one. Tamarachi Life had a a stage where you can go and perform and you can there were like a certain number of songs and you got to write the lyrics and then the computer voice would sing the lyrics that you wrote in, which is very funny and there have been some very good things on YouTube that have come out of that. Um or uh the Again, the um, Hatsune Miku whole like Vocaloid thing is is based on just, you know, people creating these voices out of computers and marketing them yeah. as actual pop songs. So, you know, there's there's definitely uh, we are at a good place technologically to bring this kind of thing to fruition. I feel like if you do like a monster simulator plus boy slash girl but like i like that you know interspecies band it doesn't matter what the now you're no longer even Mm -hmm. having to gender the bands the band creator then first of all number one every we're like checking every kawaii checkbox which is great but uh (laughs) we're gonna make so much money on this age it's gonna be crazy (laughs) but then secondly i think you could do you could do cool things where you can have like a battle of the bands that maybe feels you know akin to some very light Pokemon battles, almost mm-hmm. an a la Pokemon Go sort of thing. I was also thinking like in my head, maybe there's a, I'm thinking about the format of the game. And if I treated it like you're the manager, right? So, and what does the manager do in this case? Maybe you're a little bit of like a zookeeper as well in, in the case of creatures, but the manager is like organizing tours coming up with like, weird logos and doing branding deals like thinking about like football manager sort of stuff Mm -hmm. you can play seasons and seasons are essentially like tour circuits and every time you like complete a tour 
you're allowed to cut an album where you get to like name the tracks and do the tunes. So you have like a nice rhythm of like performing and doing the choreography and stage stuff. And then like going back into the, the sort of music creation mode. So a part of this would be kind of managing not only the music, but also your image. Um, I, I would think it would be kind of like in Pokemon, how you can, breed certain Pokemon in certain ways for like IV training and, and all that kind of behind the scenes stuff. If you could like breed certain traits of, yeah. you know, musical ability and, and also like the color and the shape of the, the monsters so that they're all kind of like color coordinated and you get extra points for that. Or if it, uh, if there's like kind of bending genres over time, like I know that, uh, um, you know, there's been a few kind of like, heavy metal acts coming out of uh, the Japanese pop scene in, uh, in recent years. And, you know, just to kind of follow the wave of like what's popular at the time um, that might change and being prepared for anything. I think if you could get the, whatever the creatures are to clock in somewhere in the ballpark of spore creature creator level of, or no man's <laughs> sky level of kind of, random looking features and traits like let's mm -hmm. just take whatever hey no man's sky can we borrow that algorithm for a second we need to make a bunch of creatures but then there's something about the breeding that i think is really gross and hilarious that absolutely it should be in there but i like the idea of like breeding two species like 40 times because you're like i really just want the voice from this other one in like the body of the first one so you're just trying and trying until you get like you know a tenor of like weird spiky creature x and you know that fits into your whole thing because i mean like what i want the feeling to have happened from an audience perspective is us you know you and i to be able to go on like twitch or youtube and be legitimately surprised at the combination of things that someone has managed to like put together yeah another part of this that would be a lot of fun is choreographing dances <laughs> oh yeah and especially if these creatures have kind of non-traditional body structures <laughs> and yeah. finding ways to make all of these different types of creatures look somewhat coordinated with one another uh that yeah. could be a lot of fun and uh you know there's i think that technology has gotten to a place where a a solid dance choreography game is definitely possible yeah especially if you get like basic beats and stuff and then mm -hmm. <laughs> i can just imagine during that process being like, oh, okay, that thing's a leg. I said, everybody kick your legs. And I got, uh, I got more than I bargained for. A hundred little uh, spikes went up at the back of this thing or something. <laughs> Didn't realize all those tentacles attached to the bottom of its chin were little legs. <laughs> so we got the, we had the music, we have the image, we have the dancing. Um, there could also be uh, some sort of a business management uh, simulation, which obviously is uh, something that you'd be interested in and excited about. Uh, you know, the the side of like getting in touch with radio stations and promoters and scheduling tours and uh, creating merchandise and managing the, I don't know, production of CDs. If that was, uh, if we live in a world where that is still a thing, I don't know. Yeah, I think you could chase that. Or like, there's also the option, I think, to chase maybe a little bit more performative controls so just like dump a bunch of effort into what the twitch streaming experience is and when you go into sort of streamer mode mm -hmm. you get to play more like sound and lighting person uh mm, during the like concert that. 
And so you're kind of trying to hit music cues and you're like putting crazy videos up in the background. Maybe you can even like control that in some way. Maybe you're even like real time choosing the playlist. That way you have an opportunity to really interact with the stream if they like want an encore or something or if they want to hear a different song. You can like medley yourself into that. I think it'd be really interesting to put a bunch of tools focused in that sort of almost real-time DJing uh, slash stage management of Mm -hmm. the performance. Because like once you have them perfect, like I think the chances of you wanting to make a second band, you know, some people will, but I think most people are just like, yeah, these are my pop band. Like I can put on a show with them anytime. All right. Let's, Let's close it down. Let's come up with a name. I was literally going to call it boy band manager at the beginning of this, like football manager. But um, I think where it is now, this is kind of a pun, kind of not. What do you think of pop monsters? (laughs) I was thinking the exact same thing. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Perfect. Which is like the easiest possible, but. (laughs) It really is, but it's nice to have the synchronicity there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I like it. That's a good one. Now let's go to the community to see what y'all have submitted for us today. This comes from Ashton Herman, who says, Hey guys, I love that you're both still going at this, going strong at this rather, and Playwright is still a highlight of my week. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate that. For a while, I was obsessed with the idea of turning all my favorite game franchises and other IPs into real-time strategy titles. Some of my dreams actually came true, Halo Wars, Battle for Middle-Earth, and Star Wars Empire at War, to name a few. Uh, With Empire at War, I loved the idea of an RTS that that incorporated both space battles and boots-on-the-ground combat. Particularly, those two were able to interact or influence one another, like an ion cannon being built on the ground to take out star destroyers in the sky, etc. So here's my pitch, a Mass Effect real-time strategy game that does just that. Epic space battles plus smaller squad-based terrestrial battles. I imagine multiple factions, humans, Asari, Krogan, and Geth, the Reapers would be silly overpowered as a playable faction, but maybe each of the factions could choose to incorporate some of their tech. There'd have to be heroes in each faction too, maybe even a customizable Commander Shepard. You're simultaneously in control of your spaceship as well as the ground units and structures, and you'll need to be invested in both to win the game. Maybe you could attempt to board an enemy command ship with your troops, or maybe you can try to capture an anti-air railgun on a nearby moon. That sounds good. Let's go ahead and start the clock there. Ashton, this is incredibly well realized. Uh, <laughs> um, I feel like I feel like a lot of what we could do is fill in details. But when I was reading this, I thought to myself a feeling like one of the things that I don't think any RTS has really ever done that I think Mass Effect lends itself well to. Mass Effect is this universe in which there's a bunch of races and a bunch Mm -hmm. of planets and stuff who are all participating simultaneously. You know, I, I wonder what it would be like to have an RTS where there's more like 20 players, you know, on the battlefield Mm -hmm. at any one point and you get like two teams of 10. So you could realistically, you know, that feeling that I think star Wars creates a lot, which is like, there's so much chaos happening that like, one team peeling off and actually going down and doing a ground assault can feel like it's lost in the shuffle because no one commander can truly keep track of everything that's on the battlefield. You just kind of have to react. One of the things that I find interesting about the Mass Effect mythos is that the um, the technology that really runs society 
there is all kind of remnants of these precursor races, the ones that have come before that are no longer alive. I'm not remembering the name off the top of my head. You meet one of them in the DLC of Mass Effect 2. Um, but it's it's not something that people are able to reproduce and to build, if I remember correctly. They're just kind of like using that which is left over. And so uh, that includes the mass relays, which are the these machines out in space that enable faster than light travel and travel between star systems. And so it would be interesting if you could destroy some of these potentially cutting off certain players from really ever leaving their planet. You know, they couldn't ever move into another system right. because they'd be more or less just kind of stranded. They're not able to rebuild necessarily. Right. And then, I mean, you would also get the like follow on effects of just imagine you do do the massive team thing. And I, I do feel like ten, two teams of 10 would feel like the equivalent of a battle Royale in an RTS space. Mm -hmm. You know, one team says, okay, I'm going to go jump to this other person's planet. Maybe the planets are where you still continue to like manufacture troops and like do your base building and all that stuff. I'm going to go there and I'm just going to destroy the mass effect relay. So like one person, it's like the equivalent of a Zerg rush. They're choosing to cut themselves Right. And the enemy off from the rest of the game. So another thing that Mass Effect 2 introduced, I don't think it was in the first one. I think this replaced those uh, those weird car missions, um, was the, the planet scanning. And so this kind of sets us up <laughs> yeah. for being able to gather resources both in the air and on land. And so it's not one in service of the other. It's both of them kind of performing both combat and resource gathering tasks, which... Um, in an RTS, it's nice to have that kind of flexibility in your units. I mean, like even just the right Mass Effect has enough sort of ground based vehicles. And I'm sure Andromeda has some salvageable uh, <laughs> technology in terms of uh, oh, yeah. tr transports or something that you could pull from it to make the RTS feel that much more full. Yeah, I like the the ability to to have the planet scanning potentially reveal key locations and stuff so maybe an old abandoned base is not uh, available or inside or even on the battle map as far as people are concerned and then scan it find it and then you can you know sort of launch troops to go deal with it but i think like this is very heavy on like actions per minute or second or whatever you're doing. Like you're going to be like, okay, I need these troops doing this. And then I'm also going to get my uh, carriers doing, you know, all that sort of crazy stuff. I also, for the record, had to look it up because it was driving me nuts. Protheans should have remembered it, that. Yeah. How, did, how did I let Protheans leave me? So another thing that could be, uh, another thing that kind of strikes me about the Mass Effect identity. I know that the entire thing is about this galactic war, and towards the end of uh, Mass Effect 3, um, which everybody loves talking about for some reason, uh, the, there's a, you do see more of this kind of concerted war effort. But most of the experience of playing Mass Effect is just kind of managing your small group and more kind of going on like small bite size individual missions that a group of, you know, boots on the ground can handle. So, yeah. you know, I was uh, thinking back to a game in a different genre, um, but not a million miles off, uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2, the, um, the, the first Star Wars Battlefront 2. The first Battlefront 2. The first game <laughs> in the Star Wars Battlefront 2 series, which is 
crazy but, <laughs> which had um, a very successful entry and a very unsuccessful entry <laughs> right the so the good star wars battlefront 2 there was the ability to in the middle of a space battle to dock in an enemy ship and then have kind of a ground battle in the ship and try to like disable the star destroyer so you know you'd fly in through the little yeah. shield ports you'd land you'd then be like a a gunner like running through the ship and trying to shoot out all the enemy reinforcements between you and the shield generators and shut those down like Obi-Wan Kenobi in A New Hope. And it's, uh, I don't know, that was exciting. And so maybe there's an aspect of like, of using the scale of the the enormous spaceships and then the, the small teams of almost like spy units yeah. that comprise these these groups of friends that are all working together. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And one of the things you could do is like, if there's really robust, like menu system and UI to do a lot of fleet management outside of battles, then you can have ships and there's so much rich opportunity, um, to have like little pre-programmed settings for the ship. So you set like AI behavior of like, Hey, when this ship is boarded, I want people to like, because each, maybe each ship type has access to different types of weaponry that the crew gets. And so you're almost are creating these like microcosms of shooter levels within the ship types and you could mm -hmm. generate them like you oh, would yeah, in yeah. a, uh, in a sort of no man's sky of like, Hey, this, this is just a large cockpit of ship class type a, so it ends up looking like this, but like this has a certain like people that are on this ship have certain abilities and the ship has its own automated defense stuff. And I want those people to generally side on taking cover like that's their main thing because mm -hmm. there's great automated defenses on the ship. I think you could really turn this into a sort of fun tinkerers game. The more complexity we bring to this, I think it makes it a more interesting game, but I'm not sure how it plays with the real time elements. You know, because if somebody yeah. is spending a lot of time like creating this tower defense maze of a ship so that if anyone boards the ship, then, you know, they'll be well protected. Uh, they are sitting there for minutes at a time, kind of not paying attention to the rest of the battlefield. And it seems like in this type of scenario, there's so many places that you have to divide your attention between. I wonder if like a turn based or I don't know what the solution is, but it seems like there's a, a I don't know, like we're creating problems in creating these interesting scenarios as well. And I'm seeing here, like I'm on the uh, fandom wiki page, plug for fandom, I guess, of Mass Effect ships. And there's all sorts of little details about ships and classes of ships, cruisers, carriers, dreadnoughts. So you have ship corvettes, shuttles, combat support crafts. But then they, some of them have ablated armor. Some of them have Solaris armor. Like you could really, if you wanted to be true to the sort of in, in fiction universe, then I think you could have a lot of variation in terms of technologies available to different ships. And, you know, you could, <laughs> I hate to, I hate to do this to any game and Ashton, forgive me, but if this was a free to play game, <laughs> You really have a lot of opportunity to do things like cool cosmetics and like tiny little details and bonuses for ships that uh, that potentially are monetizable. But um, yeah, I think that there's there's stuff to be mined there. Plus, Mass Effect ships have like they've got cool names. Like some of these names, the Novara, the Austral, the 
Ninkus and then you know the Neva. Wow, this, that's just the ends. You can imagine the Audacity. It's a pretty good ship name. It's a destroyer, a small refurbished one. Pretty pretty cool list of names. So yeah, keep adding cool names to the Mass Effect ship ship averse. We're out of time on that one. Let's close it down. Come up with a name. Oh, is there a name for the sort of war that happens uh, at the end of? I'm not sure about Mass that. Effect? I don't remember. There are a lot of, like you were saying, a lot of good names, like the Citadel or uh, the Reapers. Like, you know, anything like Reaper Wars or Citadel Wars or something would would definitely fit with the Mass Effect theme. I'm seeing here. So the the way the plot in Mass Effect 3, and I'm not saying Mass Effect 3 is the, the one that you should honor as the best Mass Effect, but is kind of split up is in between acts. Every sort of subchapter is called priority colon something so i wonder if this is like mass effect priority alpha or you know something spacey like that mass effect priority alpha i think that fits with the general scheme of uh of splitting your attention between multiple units and uh, across multiple fronts so i i, I like that yeah maybe what could we tweak it and maybe do Mass Effect priority split or something like that is that cooler? Priority split. It sounds like a sounds like the like a Nintendo DS game or something like that. <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> you know, right. They always had these like fun little verbs at the end of like WarioWare touched. Yeah, maybe maybe it's a priority beta. That way, like you're you're suggesting that it's the secondary priority. Okay. All right. That's yeah. That's fine with me. This is Mass Effect priority beta. Thank you very much, Ashton, for sending that in. One of my favorite things from the Mass Effect series while we're on the subject um, was that the uh, the Collectors are a, a race of kind of villains in, I think, Mass Effect 2 or something like that. But Mass Effect 3, I believe, came out with a Collector's Edition because every game had that at the time. And there was just like no acknowledgement that like Collectors <laughs> are a thing in the universe. And like maybe it would be fun to theme it that way or acknowledge it in any of the materials or something. But it seemed like... I don't know. It seemed like it could come with a gray body in one of those pods or something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyways. Yeah. That's uh, if you would like to submit your own video game pitch, you can do so by going to playwrightcast.com slash pitch. You can email us playwrightcast at gmail.com or you can tweet us at playwrightcast. Special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World, off the album Blue Noise. And of course, as always, thank you to the Kane and Rinse Podcast Network. I'm saying thank you to them. We're a part of them. I don't know what to say. I guess I should say go check out the rest of the shows on the Kane and Rinse Podcast Network, like the Kane and Rinse Video Game Podcast, where they review games, Sound of Play, where you guys play great video game music every single week. And of course, the Sausage Factory interviews with game developers. So, you know, as we have said many multiple times at this point, we're kind of closing the whole loop. We're making games or review. Well, we actually right. have to code them, but <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're doing the hard part. You know. <laughs> we're pitching it. We're talking to the devs who's working on it. We're reviewing it. And then of course, we're, we're so memorable. All the titles we create, we're just listening to the soundtracks because they're iconic. Well, to, uh, to take us out of the show today, I have a very quick pitch based on uh, that last one and uh you know one of the enduring classics from the dreamcast uh sega bass fishing but maybe there's a space age fishing game called bass effect <laughs> perfect collector's edition collector's edition and the soundtrack could be called bass effect anyways 
we're getting way off base again. <laughs> oh, well done. <laughs> uh, we'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thank you.